invite you that you would open your Bible to the book of Genesis chapter 24. And this chapter is a chapter after Abraham has been tested with Isaac, the Mount Moriah test, after he's been tested through the death of his wife Sarah. Now this continues because his son Isaac meets or is found a wife in Genesis chapter 24. This teaches us how we are to find a spouse. I know a lot of single people have been waiting for this chapter. <laughs> They're looking at one another saying, thank you, Jesus, for Genesis 24. There is hope. But you notice this chapter, we've titled it tonight, Here Comes the Bride. Would you write that down? Here Comes the Bride. But not only here comes the bride, we, we want to learn from this chapter as to how we are to be led by God. It's not simply about looking who it is God has for us, but how are we to be led by God, whether we're single, whether we're married, as we're seeking the Lord, as we want to find God's perfect will for our lives, we are to be led by God. How? By trusting in His providence. What does that mean? That He is over all things. He's sovereign. And he lines things up in our lives according to his perfect will and timing. And we see here through chapter 24 that God here is arranging all things. This is not simply about Rebecca. This is not about Isaac. This is not simply about Abraham. This is about God arranging things together, about how God ordains things. That's what it means that he's sovereign. He's over all. He sees all things. And the Father here is making arrangements for the bride to meet the Son through the Helper. Now, do you see the typology that we're going to learn here through Genesis chapter 24? The Father is making arrangements for the bride to meet the Son through the Helper. That sounds like God the Father preparing and making arrangements for His Son, Christ Jesus, to meet His bride, the church, through the work of the Helper, the Holy Spirit. So we have here different, now, people of faith that represent how God does a work. And notice here, this doesn't surprise us because every detail here speaks of Christ and His church. When you think about Rebecca, you think about the bride of Christ. When you think about Isaac, you think about the son of promise, the only begotten son, Jesus. When you look at Abraham, you see the Father's love and arrangement of all things in our relationships and life and God's perfect will. And this doesn't surprise us because in God's Word, Ephesians chapter 5, it tells us that marriage is intended to mirror a higher and holier relationship. The relationship between God through His Son and His church. Now notice, God arranges things the only way that He can. And I, and I want you to memorize that tonight as maybe you are in a waiting season for God's perfect will for your life. Maybe right now you're seeking God's gift and calling on your life that you would know God is to arrange things the only way that He can. Now how do you know that God is arranging things? Because He works through circumstances. God lines things up the way that only He can. 
And oftentimes you step back and you find out, well, there is no explanation as to how this would happen in my life. You know what you call that? God's perfect plan. God's providence. God at work. God's hand working. And we see not only that there, but also that we ought to let God choose His best for our life. Let God choose His best for your life. Don't go out looking for you to choose for yourself. Let him choose his best for your life. That means let him put things together. Let him put people together. Let him bring circumstances together while we're being led and directed by him. And how do you see here that Isaac and Rebekah are put together? By the Holy Spirit, by the work of the helper sent by the Father. So we're learning also how to walk by faith, how to live a life that is truly walking by faith. Now, I want you to know here these four principles that we see here that involve being led by God. If you want to be led by God today, there are four principles, four prerequisites, conditions that led to this servant of Abraham to be led by God. Number one is a total commitment to a life, to the purpose of being led by God. A total commitment to a life of purpose of being led by God. I am committed to my life and to the purpose of being led by God. It requires commitment. That you say today, I don't want to be led by my feelings. I don't want to be led by my emotions. I want to be led by God's providence, God's work in my life. Number two, if you want to be led by God, it involves this, trusting in His promises. That you wouldn't trust in, in what you desire, but you trust in His promises. When you trust in the promises of God, notice you can have peace. You can have joy there at the place that God has you. You you can walk by faith because you know what God has already said. Number three, if you want to be led by God, it requires that you pray for clarity from God. Not only that you're committed to a life of being led by God, not only that you are trusting in his promises, but you're praying for clarity. What does that mean that you're willing to pause and say, Lord, today I pray for that next step that you want me to take in my life? And then number four, it requires that you're led by the Spirit, that you're sensitive to what the Spirit is doing, that you're moving and walking by faith, and there's evidence of you being led by the Spirit. Notice this, God leads us one step at a time in obedience towards Himself. We need to follow Jesus Step by step. So we see these things mentioned here in chapter 24. Now notice here, verse 1 of chapter 24 begins this way. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house who ruled over all that he had, please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son, Isaac. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that your word speaks to us so loud and clear. And Lord, we want to be a people that are being led by you. 
that we're not led by our emotions, our impulsions, by the flesh, Lord, that we wait on you for your perfect will for our lives in every aspect, not simply in relationships, but, Lord, for that which you've put in our heart, that desire, Lord, that plan, Lord, the goals, that whatever it would be, we would be walking in your perfect will, that we'd be drawing closer to Jesus. Lord, help us not idolize our dreams. Help us not idolize goals, but that we would desire your will for our lives, your plan, not our plan. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Together we would say, amen. Now we're going to notice here from verses 1 through 9, the will of the Father. This is what you should be interested in right now. What is God's will for my life? And I love it because tonight we have the youth joining us, and it's important from being young in the faith and young growing with the Lord all the way to being seasoned and walking with the Lord for many years that we would always continue to be interested in the will of the Father. Now notice the will of the Father here expressed in verse 1. It says that Abraham, the father, was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. What does this mean? That he was blessed in every way. He was very wealthy. We know he was very rich, but he wanted to end well. This was Abraham who had possessions, who had wealth, who had money, who, who, who had an inheritance, but notice what he wants to do. He wants to end well. So what does he do here as he's concerned about the spiritual well-being of his family? So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, please put your hand under my thigh. What does he do, Abraham? He has the desire to end well. And he speaks to the oldest servant who oversaw his household. And here not only do we see the illustration between the father having the son meet the bride, but also qualities of a godly servant. Today we want to mirror the servant here and the qualities that he has that demonstrate to us how we are to serve the Lord. Because this, this man here, this servant that is unnamed here, it says that he oversaw over all that he had. He was an honest man. And number two, he was a loyal man. Just think about that. If you want to be a, a servant that is entrusted with all of our master's goods, with all of our master's resource, we, we ought to be honest and loyal people. This man was like his chief of staff. And he held a position of great honor, of great responsibility. So Abraham told him, this man that was loyal, this man that was honest, put your hand under my thigh. This was an Eastern cultural way of making a covenant under the muscle of the thigh of restraint. And he says, swear to me, this is a serious and solemn covenant and oath. Swear to me by the Lord, the God of heaven, before God. I want you to make a covenant with me right now. That you will not, notice verse 3, and I'll make you swear by the Lord God of heaven and the God of earth that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. What is the Father's will right now, Abraham's? That his servant here would not take a wife for his son from the daughters of the Canaanites from where he lives. Now you have to know that Abraham now lives there in the place of inheritance. 
But the people that live there are ungodly. They, they don't fear God. They're not serving the Lord. They're, they're serving other gods. So he tells them, don't take a wife. When it comes to time, I'm going to pass away here. He's saying he knows he's, he's finishing his life towards the end of it. But he says, take a wife for my son from Ur of the Chaldeans for my country. And now notice what happens here because this is where we learn and we are reminded that the marriage was arranged by their parents. Now just imagine if your parents got to choose who you were going to marry today. Maybe some people wouldn't be too happy. <laughs> but this was the custom this of the time. And he says, I want you to make sure of one thing, that you do not choose from the daughters of the Canaanites, that you don't go looking and you will not allow that my son marries a woman who serves other gods, who doesn't fear or serve God. Here, he emphasizes what's very important, and it's the principle of separation. I want you to know that today. This is so important, the principle of separation. We, we see that through Scripture, even through the, Old, the New Testament and the Old Testament as well. What did Paul tell the church of Corinth, the church that was struggling with carnality and with sin? See, the problem is that you're compromising when it comes to relationships. And Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 6.14, Do not be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? Don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. The principle of separation, do not allow my son to marry a woman that does not fear God. Now, when we look at that verse that Paul speaks to the church of Corinth, he says those words, don't be unequally yoked. And it's a picture of where two animals were yoked or were placed under the same yoke side by side. And the animals had to be of the same kind. They had to be of the same size. They had to be of the same species, the same temperament in order for them to be effective yoked together why because they were going to plow together and they had to plow in the same direction so if you you now gathered two different types of animals with different temperaments of different species of a different size more than likely they would not plow together the same way they would not work effectively so this is exactly why paul uses that phrase equally yoked, that they work side by side, plowing in the same direction. Now, for us as believers, what does it look like to be equally yoked? That we would now be gathered together in union with a believer that has the same values and the same biblical worldview as we do so that we can plow together in the same direction. You think about how many times you've heard the story of people becoming married they don't have the same values. They don't have the same worldviews. And what happens? They start plowing in different directions. And, and it leads to the destruction of the home and the destruction of the family. So Abraham is saying here, it's very important that my son marries the right person, not an unbeliever. He's protecting his son. He's saying, don't intermarry with the Canaanites. They have different values. They have different worldviews. You will not plow effectively that way. You see, there are certain consequences, and I want you to know this tonight, for when you search out of God's will, out of a different place from what the Lord has for you in his perfect will. It's destructive. Why? Because you start looking in the wrong place. And he says, don't look here. 
This is not the place where you're going to find his wife. Not in the place where people don't fear God. And notice how many times there's a Christian man and woman, what do they do? They become impatient and they start looking in the world for what their, who their spouse is going to be. And you start thinking, well, you know, they used to know about God, or I think that they, I can bring them to Christ. And you know what? I, I find myself just you know, being a missionary as I date other people. What in the world is that? You have to choose in the right place. From the same kind, from the person that has the same values. Let the Lord choose for you. And then we would have that perspective. We're going to allow the Lord yield to the Spirit and let Him choose what He has for our lives. I mean, I've heard so many people say, you know what, well, I... You know, I'm single. I made a little list of everything I want in my husband or my wife. And God, I'm praying and God's going to honor my list. Oh, God doesn't care about your list. God is going to bring the person that he wants for your life. That's his perfect will. Now, I want you to know something. As we talk about this servant, he's an unnamed servant here. But in Genesis 15 too, his now name is mentioned. And the name of this servant that ruled over Abraham's household was the name Eleazar. Now, you want to know something about Eleazar? His name means God of help. Or it means this, the helper. Eleazar, his name means comforter. The father is using the helper to now bring a bride for the son. What a typology we have here of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the reason here why he's not mentioned or his name is not mentioned is because he's not going in the name of Isaac, looking in the name of Isaac. You know what he's going? He's not going in his own name. He's going into in the Father's name. The Helper is representing here the Son. What did Jesus say about the Holy Spirit in John 14, 26? What is the work of the Holy Spirit? What's the ministry of the Holy Spirit? John 14, 26 would say this, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Notice that. He's not going to go in his own name. He's going to go in my name. He's going to represent the Son. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. The helper here is representing the Son to bring the church, the bride, unto him. Now notice the mission that's clearly defined here in verse 5. And the servant said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? So here the servant is saying, well, you know, I need some more clarity here. What if the woman that I find back in the Ur of Chaldeans doesn't want to come back? Should I, should I take Isaac back there? Back to where she is at? And notice the response here. In verse 6, but Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. Now, he was very strict about this. He said, no, do not take Isaac there. Isaac is never to leave the land of promise. His wife would come to him. He would not go out to the world looking for her. He would not go out of God's perfect will looking for her. Notice, he will not go outside of God's promises to look for her. She was going to be brought to him by the Holy Spirit. Now, why is this working out this way? Because Abraham is trusting in the promises of God. 
And God already promised that through Isaac, he's going to bring them generations, and it's going to happen there in the land of Canaan. So he's saying Isaac cannot leave this place. He needs to stay in God's perfect will. He needs to stay here in the place of blessing. He needs to walk in obedience. Do not take him back there. Now, I want you to know this. This morning, there are some places we should never go back to. Today, maybe you're saying, well, I think that I have better options, better resources, more opportunity if I go back to where I came from. No, there are some places that God has said, I took you out of there. You should never go back there. Even if you think there's an opportunity there for you, even if you're promised some type of blessing or success, no, God's will is never that you leave the place of blessing. There is a warning here to not compromise where God's called you to be. Don't compromise where God's called you to be. You know what the place is? It's the place of blessing. In fact, Abraham is trusting in God by faith that that's the place where Abraham, uh, where Isaac is to be, that in verse 7, notice as he continues, and he says, The Lord God of heaven, who took, my, took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, notice, he promised me, he swore to me, God told me this. To your descendants, I give this land. He will send an angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. Notice what he's saying. God promised me that this is the land of blessing. God will send his angel before you. God's presence, that's what it means when he would say an angel before you. God's presence will go with you and give you success that you would bring a wife for my son from the place that I've come. And notice verse 8, as he says, and if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. Second time. Why? Because we need to hear it twice sometimes. Don't go back there. Don't go back from where God has called you. God has placed a special blessing in his house. In under his will, under his providence, under his protection, don't go outside of that looking for the blessing. Don't remove yourself from where God has you. If she doesn't want to follow you, then you're free from the covenant. But under no circumstances are you to take my son out of this place. Now, this is so direct. This is so black and white. There's no compromise here. There's no exceptions. There's no gray area as to where you are to find your spouse, where God's perfect will for Isaac is. There is no confusion here. He's saying it, it, he is to stay here. He is not to be removed from the place of blessing. Now in verse 9, it says, So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, under that muscle of restraint, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. What does he do here? He swears, he says, I'm going to fulfill this matter. I'm going to follow the instructions that Abraham has given him or has set. There are some places we are never to go back to, but there are also some things that under no circumstances are we to do. What is that? Never looking for God's blessing in the wrong place because you've become impatient. I want, I want you to know this. The Father's will, he was speaking to it, about it. And unless we trust God's word, 
Unless we obey God's word, then he will not direct us. We need to trust what he said. We need to obey what he said, or he will not direct us. You can't say, I'm doing what God wants me to do if you're living in disobedience. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, we all know this verse very well. What does it say? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. You know when you receive the guidance of the Lord? When you're walking in obedience. You receive the guidance of the Lord when you're walking in faith. So you see here the will of the Father that there would be holiness, that there would be separation, that there would be obedience. That's God's will for our lives. Now notice the witness of the servant. Verse 10. The will of the Father, now the witness of the servant. Verse 10. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed for all of his master's goods were in his hand, and he arose and went to Mesopotamia, the city of Nahar. What does he do? The servant's mission here is fulfilled. He loads the camels, he departs. He goes with his master's goods, expensive gifts and wealth, and he arises and he goes. It says he arose and he went. Notice this loyal servant, this honest servant. What is he also? An obedient servant. The kind of servant we want to be to our master, our Lord and Savior. Honest, trustworthy, loyal, obedient. And he had foresight as well. These are all qualities of a godly servant. Foresight in obeying the instructions that his master had given him. So he prepared himself and departed to Nahar, Ur of the Chaldeans. He acted by the faith in the God of Abraham. He acted in the faith of the God of Isaac. You see here, he's obeying now. And in verse 11, it says, and he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at the evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. So the servant comes, he's looking for the wife of Isaac, sent by Abraham, the father. And what does he do? He brings the camels outside of the city, at the well, at the hour when women come out to draw water. See, this, this servant knows where to look. He said, the women are, at this hour, they're going to come out. But there's a practical concern because he arrives with the concern of now watering and giving water to these camels, this practical concern. But also a spiritual concern was to receive guidance through the providential circumstances. And you see here what that looks like. He, he's open to whatever God wants to do there now. You, you notice what happens here in this servant, how sensitive he's being to the instructions of his father. Know this, he believed in the promises of God and he trusted in the providence of God. And I want you to remind yourself of that tonight. To trust in the promise of God, and to trust in the providence of God. What does that mean? That if he promised, then he's also going to provide. And he'll provide in his own way. So he arrives there with a spiritual concern, with a practical concern, believing God's promise, trusting in God's providence. And not only is the now instruction of separation mentioned, but now the instruction of supplication at the well of water in supplication. 
Notice his prayer, verse 12. Then he said, Oh, Lord, God of my master Abraham. He begins to pray there. Oh, Lord, God of my master, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. I love this because you see the attitude of this godly servant. Lord, please give me success for my master. Show my master kindness. Show him unfailing love. That's what it looks like when he says kindness. Show me success for the now benefit of my master. Show him kindness and loyal love. You see here through this chapter, 19 times, he uses the word my master. It's awesome because it teaches us as godly servants that we are to live and serve only to please our master. We are under the instructions of our master. This is a godly example to follow. I do what my master wants me to do. And would, Lord, would you please give me success today on behalf or to benefit my master? Behold, see, this is where I am. Notice verse 13, he says, Here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. He's praying, but notice what he says, Behold, see, I'm standing by the waters, and the daughters of men are coming to draw water. What is he doing? He's waiting at the well. He's praying, but he's also patient. Lord, look at me. I'm standing here. He's waiting. He's patient. So then after, he offers a way of understanding how God is to lead him. And he says, now let it be as he prays, the young woman to whom I say, please, let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Now, this, this servant, this steward, this is no small task to anyone. Because he's saying, now, Lord, whoever the woman, whenever the woman comes and I ask her, would you give me a drink? And she says, yes, I'll give you a drink. And then she offers to also give a drink to all the camels and to water the camels. Let her be the one. By this I'll know. I don't know if you've studied, but, but camels can drink a lot of water. And he knows that there is no, not anyone is just going to come and make themselves available to do that. At any given time, camels can drink up to 20 gallons of water. And he didn't only go with one camel, he went with 10 camels. You know what he's looking for? He, he didn't care about a woman's appearance. He was looking for a woman's character. Woman's character. He was looking for her willingness, her godliness. And he's saying here, when a woman comes in and I ask for a drink, let her be willing to also give water to the camels. That would be confirmation. In verse 14, he continues and he says this, now let it be that the young woman to my say, he says, let, it, let her be the one. Let, let that be confirmation to me. You know what he's doing there in verse 13 and 14? He's putting it in the hands of the Lord. And he's saying, Lord, before I start, these are the conditions that I want you to lead me, that you would let me be sensitive to these things. He's not making up favorable circumstances as he went. You know, sometimes we do that. We step out in faith and, and we make everything a favorable circumstance as we go for ourselves. He's saying that's not the case here. 
He knows what he's expecting from God and where God would meet him. He's saying, Lord, this is the only way where I'll have peace that this is the person. If it doesn't happen this way, then I'm not going to do it. And what is he looking for there specifically in verse 14? For kindness for his master. Look at the faithfulness that, of this servant. He's interested in his master's needs. This is a servant who's trustworthy, a servant who's loyal, a servant who's prayerful, a servant who has foresight, but also a servant who's selfless. This is the kind of servants that we want to be, that we're praying for the success or for the benefit of other people, that we're not just praying for our own benefit. Notice, we must want God's will. We must pray and seek God's guidance. We must be willing to obey when God gives us instruction. And then we must be aware with what he's doing. This servant here is demonstrating that he's a faithful servant waiting on the guidance from the Lord, waiting on confirmation. Don't step out if you don't have confirmation. Wait for the Lord to give you confirmation. How do you know? Because he's going to give you peace. He's going to open a door. And then he also is going to speak through the word of God. There's some guys that sometimes, you know, they're seeing, they go up to a girl and they say, you know what? The Lord told me you're going to be my wife. The girl says, well, you know, the Lord didn't tell me nothing. He has my number. Wait for confirmation. And not only in that, wait for confirmation when you, you go to another job. When you buy a house, when you relocate, whatever it is that you would be seeking God's guidance, commit yourself unto the Lord, saying, I'm seeking from guidance of God. I want this to be of God. Too many times we can fabricate or force a situation and then say, God did it. Oh, God didn't do that. We could tell you forced that. We have to be so sensitive that we say, we're going to put this in God's hands. And it's only going to have the fingerprints of God, not our own fingerprints. We're not going to be anxious. We're not going to be in a rush. We're not going to step out in our feelings or in our emotions. We're not going to be hastily. We're not going to try to fabricate a work of the Spirit because you can tell when it's not a work of the Spirit, when, when people or two people are just infatuated with one another. You know what that looks like? It's just all emotional, and then you get over it after He's saying, I don't want to be led by infatuation. Be, be careful that you're not infatuated with something or with someone, with a goal, with, with, with a, a career, with a person, with your own plan. But in verse 15, it said, and it happened before he had finished speaking. I, I love this. I want you to there, next to the word speaking, write the word praying. Before he finished praying, God answered his prayer. Isn't that awesome how faithful God is? That God hears when we pray. Before he had even finished praying, the Lord had answered his prayer. And the servant didn't know that the prayer was answered. Only time would prove it. Only time would prove it. He had a wait on the Lord. In Isaiah 65, verse 24, the Lord says, It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. That's amazing. That before we call, the Lord knows our needs and he's answering. And while they're still speaking, the Lord says, I will hear. I will hear. Notice what happens here. Before he finished praying, there behold, all of a sudden, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Micah, 
the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with a pitcher on her shoulder. Isn't this awesome? He's waiting at the well, praying. And here behold, Rebekah, whose name means ensnaring beauty. She comes walking down to the well. And notice what the Bible says here in verse 16. Now, the young woman was very beautiful, very beautiful to behold, a virgin that no man had known her. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. And now notice what happens here, because in verse 17, he then steps out in action. And the servant ran to meet her and said, he recognized her, he noticed her, he was aware of her. What did he do? He stood up in action, he went to her. He says, please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. Now, now, do you see here that he prayed and then he moved? I, I want you to see the order of how it happened. He prayed and then he ran. There's too many guys running when they haven't prayed before yet. What does it say? He prayed and then he ran. Prayer is not a substitute for action, but prayer should always be first. And notice what happens. He says, may I please have a little water to drink. And notice how she answers here because you see her answer there in verse 18. So she said, drink, my Lord. Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. How does she answer? Notice the qualities of Rebecca. She's respectful. You're looking for, you're praying for, you're asking the Lord. Here are the qualities, respectful and humble. A servant. A servant. And you notice what she does here? She does it quickly. She goes out and she serves him. And notice what happened. She gave him a drink. And when he had finished giving him a drink, she said, and these were the words that were like music to his ears. She said this, I will also draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Think about how he felt when he heard those words. Confirmation. She's the one. She's respectful. She's humble. But notice verse 19. She's available. What, what is she available to do? She's not available to, for a date. She's not available to, to be recognized. She's not available for a compliment. You know what she's available to do? To serve. So verse 19 tells us, then she quickly, again, I love that she does it quickly, emptied her pitcher into the trough ran back to the well to draw water, and she drew for all the camels. What was she? Respectful, humble, available, a servant. And she, how does, she, how does she, she serve right here? She serves urgently. And she does this in a way that would show a testimony of her heart of a servant. Now, now I want you to recognize something about Rebecca there in only a few verses. Rebecca was not looking for Isaac. She was looking to serve. She was not looking for Isaac. She was looking for ministry. How can I serve? Today, you also know of even many girls, women. You know what they want? They're looking for Isaac. They're waiting for Isaac. They want their Isaac, but they're not busy doing what Rebecca was doing. You know what she was doing? She was serving urgently humbly, with a heart that's available. 
And in verse 21, it would say, and the man wondering at her, notice, remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. What does he do? He doesn't get all excited. I can't believe she's the one. I need to tell her right now. I'm going to send her a message. You know what he does? He waits and watches in silence. When the Lord is doing a work in our life, you know what we need to do? Wait in silence. He wanted to see the servant's heart, not only the servant's talk. Because she said, I'll do it. So he was waiting. Let's see if she's actually going to do this. And what does he do? He waits. He doesn't say nothing. He's wondering, is this who the Lord has chosen as has he made my way prosperous in this mission? He's waiting to see what the Lord would do. Verse 21 and verse 22, it speaks of his patience. So it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel, two bracelets for a wrist weighing 10 shekels of gold. And he said, whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? He gave her gifts because she had served him, expensive gifts to show gratitude, to show generosity, and says, whose daughter are you? Is there room for us? So she said, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Michael's son, whom bore of Nahar. Moreover, she said to him, we have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. You know what she's saying? Absolutely, we have enough. She's probably thinking, do you have more gifts? <laughs> but she takes him over. And notice what happens in verse 26. Then the man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord. What is he doing here? This, this, he's not only, notice, trustworthy, loyal, obedient, prayerful. Not only does he have foresight, but he's also a worshiper. What does he do? He worships the Lord for favor and for success. And he praises the Lord. He, he says this, and he blessed, he said, blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken me, his mercy and his truth toward my master. You see here, he understands who he's serving, who he's representing. Praise God who has shown unfailing loyal love and faithfulness and truth to my master. Notice in verse 27, as it continues, as he says here, as for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. This belongs to the house of my master's relative. And as I was on the way, the Lord led me straight to the house of my master's relatives. Being on the way, the Lord led me. Being on the way, the Lord led me. I want you to circle those words in your Bible. Being on the way, the Lord led me. You know what that means? That we are on the way of obedience, and the Lord leads us. It was, he wasn't led by emotions. He wasn't led by impulsive feelings. He said, the Lord has led me. But what did it take for the Lord to lead him, for him to step out in obedience, for him to be on the way? Sometimes we want to say, Lord, we want you to just do this in our lives and perform your promise, and we're just going to sit here and wait and do nothing. No, we need to do something as well. We need to step out in faith and obedience after having prayed. He felt his duty was to be on the way and to trust God that he would guide him along the way. Do you see here that he's listening to the instructions one step at a time? He's on the way, and God is guiding him along the way. This is what it means to be spirit-led, 
the Lord led me as I was on the way. Now, I want you to circle again, on the way. He wasn't in the way, he was on the way. How many times have you say, I'm pursuing God's perfect will, but you're in the way? As servants, we should be along the way. We should say, Lord, we're just following your lead. We just want to hear what you have for us for our lives. Because God's providence, how, the way God provides, is always seen in man's diligence and in man's obedience. You want to see God's providence? It is always visible. It's always given to us in revelation, in diligence, and in obedience. The psalmist would say this, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. It's been said before that when a man is doing God's will as best as he knows it and is willing to do further will even before he knows it, then he will know his will as soon as he needs to. You know what that means? That you have to be diligent to what God told you to do right now. And when you obey that, then God tells you, he will tell you what to do next. Sometimes we say, well, I don't know what to do. I, I, I feel like I'm lost or confused then notice, when you don't know what to do next, then do the last thing God told you to do. But listen to the voice of God so you're led by him. Verse 28 would say, so the young man ran, notice, and told her mother's household, the young woman ran and told her mother's household these things. She goes back home. And now Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban, and Laban ran out to meet the man by the well. So it came to pass when he had saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist, and when he heard the words of his sister Rebekah saying, Thus the man spoke to me that he went to the man, and there he stood by the camels at the well. And he said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I prepared the house and a place and camels. And the man came to the house, and he unloaded the camels, provided straw to feed the camels, and water to wash the feet, and the feet of the men who were with him. So notice what Laban does, the brother. He says, this is what he gave my sister. This is what he said to her. Come in the house. And he offers hospitality. But notice as he offers hospitality, he even puts food before him. In verse 33, and food was set before him to eat. But he said, notice the servant, I will not eat until I have told about my errand. This is the servant that was loyal, trustworthy, honest, prayerful, who had foresight, who was obedient. You know what it shows here? He, was he had conscience to priorities. He was aware of his priorities. I'm not going to just indulge myself with food. You notice, he said, I'm on a mission right here. I'm a true servant of my master, like a true servant of Christ that we should be, we should put our master's business before our own personal needs. Our master's business before our personal desires. When we, when we begin to think more about attending to our personal needs before our master's business, then we have misguided priorities. I can't eat yet, he's saying. I'm here for a specific reason. I have to tell you about why I'm here. I don't want to get my priorities mixed up. So verse 34, he explains the visit. So he said, I'm Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly. He has become great. He has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold, male and female servants and camels and donkeys. Now notice how he speaks about his master. 
He says, my master is great. Underline that there in your Bible. It says that he knew that he belonged to his master, that he was not his own. He was not doing this on his own behalf, but he was a bondservant of someone else. And the way he spoke about his master was done in a way that would only honor him. And it says here as he continues, Now my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell. But you shall go, verse 38, to my father's house. You're wondering where you're going to find God's blessings for your life? In, his, in your father's house. You're wondering where you're going to find satisfaction in your life? In your father's house. You're wondering right now where you're going to find the joy that you're looking for, the peace that's missing in your life, in your father's house. Don't go out looking for it anywhere else but in your father's house. That's where we need to stay at. That's where God's favor is at. That's where God's blessing is at. That's where fulfillment is at, in our father's house. And I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said, notice he's speaking of his master's faith. The Lord before whom I walk will send his angel or presence with you and prosper you, give you favor to your way, and you shall take a wife for my son, for my family, and for my father's house. He's retelling the reason as to how the Lord would do this. It would be ordained by God. It wouldn't be something that's forced. Abraham never doubted. He was strong in faith. He knew that God would lead his servant to the right woman for Isaac, his son. So it says here in verse 41, you will be clear from this oath when you arrive among my family, for if they will not give her to you, then you will be released from this oath. And this day I came to the well and said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, if you will now prosper the way in which I go. Notice he committed himself again to the success of his mission to the Lord. And God answered his prayer with confirmation. Please give me success in this mission, he's saying. So verse 43, behold, I, sta I stand by the well of water, and it came to pass that when the virgin came out to draw water, and I say to her, please give me a little water from your pitcher to drink. And she says to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman who the Lord has appointed for my master's son. But before I finish speaking in my heart, notice there, Rebecca coming out with her pitcher on her shoulder, and she went down to the well to draw water, and I said to her, please Give me a drink. He, he just explained, this is how God was working through these circumstances and putting these events together as I put this in prayer, as I was commissioned by my master, and I was standing at the well. And as he continues, notice, and she made haste and let her pitcher down from her shoulder and said, drink, and also give your camels a drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels a drink also. Then I asked her and said, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Michael bore to him. So I put the nose ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrists. Now, guys, don't go putting nose rings on girls. <laughs> don't go buying jewelry tonight. Wait, wait on the Lord, please, would you? And he's explaining how this happened. And I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master, Abram, who had led me in the way of truth. Circle that there. He led me straight to her, the way of truth. This is what God did. This is how it happened. I prayed, and these events started to take place, and God kept confirming one thing after the other, and it wasn't of me. I was just waiting at the well. 
And I prayed if she would give me drink and then also for my camels to drink. And it was Rebecca, she was willing. Now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me if not, tell me, and I will turn to the right hand or to the left. Verse 49, notice what he says. Tell me if you'll show unfailing love or faithfulness to who? Not to him, but to his master. Not to him. Notice what he asked for. He asked for it for his master. He truly represented his master, not himself. Please tell me, yes or no? Are you going to uh, confirm this, affirm this? Are you going to support this? Or tell me so I'll know what to do next. And notice how he now tells the mission that he's in. He, he first says, my master is great. Then he told him, the son of my master, he's the heir. And then he also says, the, the one who, that God had called me and the father called me to come to would be one that would have to leave their home to come and marry my master's son. And you know what he does after? He presses for a reply. He says, what's the answer? What's the answer? Make a decision. You see, the servant's job, our job, is not to argue or not to bribe people, not to force anything, but to bear witness of the greatness of what God does and then let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Not to force things. The only, only the Holy Spirit can bring conviction. And that's exactly what we are to do. Are you going to do this or are you not going to do this? Is it going to be or is it not going to be? You see the clarity? There's no confusion when God is doing, bringing people together. There's no confusion. It's clear. It's evident. It's the hand of God. I remember when I first met my wife. You know, I met her, and, and a month from meeting her, I told her, you know, there was, we had gone out to spend time together. And I, I, I think I've told the story before. I was leading worship, and I saw her, you know, worshiping the Lord from behind in the college and career group of the church I was attending. And I said, Lord, here I am. Send me to her. And then I, I had asked her to spend time with me and to go out on, on you know, hang out with me. And, and we went twice. And then after, I felt a conviction of the Spirit. And I, I said, wait a minute, what am I doing? I, I don't do this. I'm not just going on dates with, with, you know, just girls with no commitment. So I called her up and I said, you know what? Listen, I know we just met. And I know we're, we're friends. But either, you know, I don't go, I don't just date girls. Either you're going to be my wife or you're not going to be my wife. This is a month from meeting me. Here I am, I'm thinking that I'm, I'm spiritual. And I, I'll never forget what she told me. She says, you know what? I just want God's will for my life. I said, great, she's breaking up with me. <laughs> Turns out she's more spiritual than I am. But you notice this clarity. Either we are or we're not. Either we're doing this or we're not doing this. We're not kind of dating. We're not going to kind of, we're not going to, we're not trying this out. And, and I want you to know this. As Christians, you either know you are or you're not. You're either talking or you're not. You, there's commitment or there's no commitment. Because we don't do things halfway. We don't just date to try things out. Either there's a commitment or there's not a commitment. You know why? Because we're seeking God's perfect will. We're not seeking to infatuate our feelings. Notice what happens next year, verse 50. And Laban and Bethuel answered and said, this thing comes from the Lord. His, their family heard. And, 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 and she says this. We can't speak to you either bad or good. 
But what can we say? God's done this. There's nothing that we can say. We can't argue with what God is doing. It is obvious that God has brought them together. From what you tell us, you can't make this up. And notice what they say. And it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard these words. Notice what he does again. He lowers himself. He worships the Lord. He's bowing himself to the earth. And the servant brought out jewelry and silver. Again, with the jewelry. And gold and clothing and gave them to Rebekah and also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. It is recognized that this was the dowry of the time. But you notice what he does there in verse 52, when God provides, when God provides, this is what we should do. It doesn't matter what he provides. No matter what he provides, you know how we should respond? In humility and in worship. Be grateful when God provides. Whatever he provides, acknowledge that it's God's provision. What does he do? He hears affirmation to what God is doing. He lowers himself in humility grateful, acknowledging God's provision. This is of God. Let me pause before I move into anything else he's saying, and I have to acknowledge that God has provided. The Lord has provided. He worships. Whatever the Lord's provided in your life right now, in this season you're in, acknowledge it's from the Lord. Worship him. Be grateful to him. Respond in humility. Don't respond in pride. So verse 55 But her brother and her mother said, let the young woman stay with us a few days. It said that that servant had spent the night with his servants as well. And the next day, they said, let the young woman stay a few days, at least 10 days after she may go. And he said, do not hinder me. Since the Lord has prophesied my way, send me away so that I may go to my master. Verse 56, you know what he says? That this, this servant was persistent. God has prospered me. Send me away so that I can complete my mission successfully. I'm focused on the mission. Don't delay me. Do not delay. I'm doing God's will now. Verse 57, so they said, we will call the young woman, ask her personally. Then they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? So they asked her, let's ask her. And she said, I will go. (laughs) She's willing. She knows, hey, I, I know what God is doing here. You know what she's saying? Well, I will go. It, it, well, she answers that way. She's willing to go where God is calling her. She's accepting what God is doing in her life. When God works through different circumstances in your life, no matter what he's doing, you know we have to be willing. It's not that the Holy Spirit is not working. Notice, I want you to pay attention. It's not that the Holy Spirit's not working. Sometimes it's that you're not willing. The Holy Spirit's always working. The problem is that we're not willing, that we're not yielding. We're not accepting what God is doing in our lives. So they sent Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, Abraham's servant, and his men, and they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become like the mother of the thousands and ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. May God bless you and give you victory. But notice what he says here, don't delay me. Make the right decision. Today, I pray that you don't delay, you make the right decision tonight. You know what the decision is? To follow Christ. To say, yes, I want to meet the Son, Jesus, my Savior. The story here is so clear. God had chosen Rebecca. 
but Rebecca still needed to be willing. Sometimes people say, well, is it God's sovereignty or is it man's responsibility? Here it shows us it's both. God chose Rebecca, but Rebecca had to respond with willingness to go meet the son Jesus. John 6, 37, Jesus said, all that the Father has given to me, notice divine sovereignty, and him that comes to me, human responsibility, I will by no means cast out. Do you see both here, God's sovereignty and our willingness? So it says here now, they both departed. Now notice in verse 56, they arose, they rode on camels, and they followed the men, and the servant took Rebecca, and they departed. Now they're going through the wilderness. And probably just imagine Rebecca on the way back that she's asking through the wilderness questions about Isaac. So tell me about Isaac. How is he? Your master, his son. I want to get to know him a little bit. Isn't it awesome that they were traveling through the wilderness, the bride and the helper? I want you to know something right now. As you're seeking God's perfect will, maybe you are traveling through the wilderness, but you know who's guiding you? The Holy Spirit. The servant, the holy comforter, the paraclete, the one called alongside of, who accompanies the church through the world's wilderness. You know what he does? He's teaching us things about Christ. And we're under his tutorship until finally he presents us to Christ to be with him at the end of the journey. Notice how this, how this continues as Isaac welcomes now his bride. In verse here as it continues, verse 62, and now Isaac came from the way of Beer like Roy, for he dwelt in the south. And here we see Isaac again. We haven't heard from him since he was in Mount Moriah about to be sacrificed. When he was about to die, but God spared him, Notice, we see the sun, we see a picture of the resurrection, and then you see him again, notice the sun, you see him again when he meets the bride. What a beautiful thing we see that typology of Christ in the Old Testament. You see him again when he meets the bride, the church. And it says that he was in the field in the evening, and he lifted his eyes and looked there, the camels were coming. Now notice, what was he doing in verse 63? He went out to meditate in the field. He wasn't anxious. He wasn't looking. He wasn't afraid. Oh, my gosh, where's Rebecca? Who's my wife? I can't believe. Is he coming back yet? You know what he was doing? He was just resting. He was just waiting. He was just meditating. He was just praying. What was he doing? In the field. And he was waiting on the Holy Spirit to bring her. He was waiting on the Holy Spirit to confirm. This is amazing how the Holy Spirit's at work. Then Rebecca lifted her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel, for she had said to his servant, who's this man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, it's my master. So she took the veil and covered herself, notice, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. What does it say here in verse 66? This servant, you know what he does? He's trustworthy, he's loyal, he's honest, he's prayerful. But he also follows through. One of the most... Amazing qualities of a godly servant is a servant that follows through. He was on assignment. You know what he does? He finished the assignment. He follows through. And he tells him, and he says, Then Isaac brought her to his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. What was he comforted in? He was comforted there in his wife Rebekah. 
And what is it? He loved her. And she comforted him in a special way here. The comfort that we receive when the church meets Christ, when the bride meets the groom. It's so important that we today, as we look at this chapter, we realize that God is the one that's in control of our lives. And he wants to do the work if we're willing. His spirit is working. We need to yield. You know what the problem is sometimes? The problem is us. The problem is us. We, we have, we're not ready to make a decision. We're not ready to make a commitment. We're not ready to say, yes, Lord, I'm willing. Today, I pray that you would say, I want to make more of a commitment than I ever have as I respond to God's will for my life. I don't want to go seek it somewhere else. I want to respond to his will for my life right where he has me. Can we stand and pray together?